Welcome to episode eight of Bored and Nerdy. My name is Corey Munoz, and I'm here with Transformers nerd Christopher. Today we'll be discussing the Solo movie, revisiting it after three years. How does it hold up? What's good? How does it hold up? So obviously, a spoiler warning, we will be talking about everything involving this movie. If you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. If you don't care, hang out and listen to us. We'll see if you're interested after. So I noticed in our Mandalorian podcast that uh, after the fact, we really should have also included a spoiler warning for like every single Star Wars movie. So it's just kind of one of the inherent things with these cinematic universe kind of movies is if you're discussing one pretty much spoiler warning for everything that's come out before it. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I think the spoiler warning is more of a courtesy because most people, when they go out of their way to find uh, such a famous podcast as ours, they know what they're after when they click on episode eight Star Wars, a solo story movie. I forget what they actually named this thing. Yeah, yeah, it was Solo, a Star Wars story. And they definitely gave us a proper Star Wars intro with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But that's it. Nothing else was uh, matching our Skywalker saga. I have mixed feelings about that. They they did the same thing with Rogue One with not having a uh, crawl. And uh, I see what they were going for, but everything's had a crawl. Like every video game, Podracer has a crawl. You know what I mean? So arguably Solo does have a crawl, though. It gives you, what, three clips of text that you have to read. It just doesn't crawl, and it's the same color as the long time ago instead of being yellow for, yeah for you folks who don't know the crawl is the text that moves across the screen at the beginning of a star wars movie and they basically did it but they reformatted it so they could claim that it was a standalone but when the primary character of the movie is a primary character of the original trilogy it's hard to claim that they're completely separate. You know, what I think they should have done is each one of those little blue phrases on a on a slide, they should have gone, what kind of a, a scene can we do in 30 seconds or so that would get this point across? And they should have just done kind of like heartbeats or something or fades or something and just like shown us little snippets of his earlier life. I think that would have set it aside better. And uh, yeah, that's what I would have done if I could go back into the past and be in charge. If I were to go back in the past and be in charge, I think the only change that I would make would be that this would be a Disney Plus show instead of a movie because it has everything you need for a good TV show. And if you were able to take a little longer in specific parts of it, it would actually be really interesting. Uh, we get to see very briefly the planet that they introduce as the shipbuilding world. And we see like an underground tunnel and a port with some spark flying here and there. And I would totally have been okay with exploring this planet. That's that's very interesting you say that, because the rumor is is they're they're doing a sequel to this in the form of a TV show on, on Disney Plus. Of course, Disney Plus didn't exist when this show was coming out, but that's that's really interesting because I also wish that they had explored that whole planet more and the Lady Proxima and that gang or whatever Han was part of, like it would have been very interesting to to spend maybe another 20 minutes there or something. Uh, so like the length of an episode or something, 40 minutes there or something. Uh, really, I, I feel like there's a lot of points in this movie that feel really rushed. Like, like, come on, slow down. I want to, I want to stay there for a minute. 
in particular Han's time in the Imperial Army. You know, like he he tells us that he got kicked out of flight school. He tells us that he did really well on flying, but he spoke his mind too much. And so if we just got that episode of Corellia with the gangs and Proxima, Lady Proxima, was that it? Yeah, to I totally agree. Uh, and in fact, in the movie, I really wish that they had just given the whole first act to his Imperial career. Just because that's part of Han Solo that even after this movie, we really don't get. Like, I don't understand it fully. And it's because they brush over it really quickly. Uh, I could totally see that being at least an episode. I'm curious if they did give us a few episodes or the first half of the movie being him being Imperial, how much of it would end up feeling like the story arc they intended and pretended they gave us for Finn in the sequel series. Oh yeah, that's a fair point. Clearly Han wasn't going to be a stormtrooper. You know, he wanted to be the pilot. He uh, enlisted on purpose versus being some first order captivity trained trooper. So it would be a different experience, but you would still have that same overall story arc of, uh, started with the Empire for some reason and left for some reason. When I'm thinking about it as a TV show, I also need to uh, admit that watching it after all of this time away from it, it watched like I was reading one of those extended universe books that was just made into a movie. I don't know how many of those you actually read growing up. I know I didn't read all of them, but I read a few here and there where I have to uh, tell you they weren't all great. You know, some of them <laughs> were cheesy. Some of them were rushed. Some of them were like, okay, well, that's kind of dumb, but whatever. And you always had, you know, your Han or your Luke or your Leia being a big deal in it. And so this movie is exactly what it would have felt like if we would be getting EU books. People said that about the sequel trilogy uh, when they were making fun of uh, Kathleen Kennedy when she was saying that Star Wars didn't have any source material for them to rip off like <laughs> Marvel. Oh, and oh, really? We do. We have this extended universe that Disney canned. But serious, look at it through that you know scope. It feels like it could have been one of those books, and. When I think about it like that versus it being this like, you know, oh, let's just retcon every single thing we can to try and explain a couple of plot holes, because that's the, you know, conspiracy theory of the solo movie, right? Not only was it a money grab, obviously, but it was them wanting to uh, explain parsecs. People are like, yep, that's the only reason that movie came out. They were they were trying to fix the error of saying parsecs. So when I look at it as the book, you know, that, that makes me feel a little better about the whole thing. Because it's like, oh, no, it was intended to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the uh, all the new shows, they're, they're patches. It's patches for the Star Wars continuity. We, we, we have to patch the Death Star being destroyed so easily, and we have to patch Obi-Wan growing so old so fast. I'm okay with the patches, because when you look at it from, like, you know, the Harry Potter universe, they don't get patches, they get tweets. And all of a sudden, their, their universe changes. So at least this time, you know, we're getting million-dollar movies, so that that's something, right? This was actually one of the only movie ideas that uh, George Lucas was considering. At one point, George Lucas was making a sequel trilogy. He just kind of, basically the fans did it to him, is basically what I get. Is he wanted to make this sequel trilogy, but he didn't because he was put down by the fans and their reaction to the prequel trilogy. But uh, what I've heard anyway is that the uh, solo movie was one of his ideas for a movie that he could really see making sense in the Star Wars universe. It is a piece that, that does seem to belong. I think we really hit it at the start of this podcast. Really what the problem is with this movie is that none of the moments get enough time to breathe. There's some really good stuff in this movie. There's some bad stuff too, but there's some really good stuff in this movie. 
and it just it's instantly on to the next action or on to the next joke. Basically every sequence, his Imperial career needed room to breathe. The heist needs room to breathe. Him meeting Lando needs room to breathe. So I, I really think that it just would have been a lot better as a show. Glad you agree with me. When you look at the whole thing, try and come up with a purpose for the movie. What would you say the singular purpose of the movie was? If you had to choose one thing, not a not a list of things, okay. you know, no commas, just that in, one in, thing. In canon or in real life? Canon. Okay, that's harder to answer. <laughs> real life, I got I got to say the answer is only money. Well, in real life, the answer is to recast Han Solo. But yeah, for money. Um, but if you can recast Han Solo, you can make a lot of money movies. But in, in canon, the reason for the movie existing better set up Han, and I'm not sure it does it all the way. All right. I would say that this movie is... Uh, basically taking that romance plot platform of, you know, boy meets girl, they fall in love kind of thing. But in this case, it's Han meets the Falcon. Okay. I I feel like that's the entire purpose of the movie is how to introduce the Millennium Falcon Falcon. to introduce the Millennium Falcon. Because you watch this movie and you get to see Han meet Chewie and it's supposed to be a really big deal, but no, it's a little more funny. You meet Lando and maybe it's a big deal. We know they have a twisted history, but it's a cheesy done before gambling scene. You get Han meeting a girl and, you know, it's not Leia, so no one really cared, but there was no magic. Sorry, there wasn't. But then Han meets the Falcon, and they literally cue the music. Yeah, His okay. eyes sparkle <laughs> when he sits in the cockpit for the first time. You can see the envy. When he holds the controls and he takes a, the man is in love with this ship. And so this movie is an ode to the love that Han and the Falcon have for each other. That That is actually really awesome. Um, And I really did enjoy all the Millennium Falcon in this movie i loved the uh the redesign to it that they did uh making it well yeah and i love the lego set i have the lego set uh but just the way they made the falcon seem really new and shiny and i guess that does touch on one of my criticisms visually with it is that this is taking place after revenge of the sith but before a new hope and so i wish you saw a little more prequely stuff maybe races or ships or I I don't know uh, cues from the prequels. Uh, Everything was super shiny and new in the prequels. And then when we get into uh, the original trilogy, it's all like this reused future. And I feel like the solo movie is the perfect place for those two things to kind of overlap more. But I also think at the time when this movie was in development three years ago, Lucasfilm was very hesitant to do anything that, that talk to the prequels. It kind of does with Crimson Dawn. That That's ship a good point. is shiny. It's nice. People are wearing ball gowns inside. There's etiquette. Um, so I would say that Crimson Dawn is a relic from the prequels. Just aesthetically speaking. So Crimson Dawn, it, it does a good job of uh, setting up pri- crime syndicates in this movie. Uh, Paul Bettany's character was a last-minute recast in reshoots because the original actor, uh, forgive me, I can't remember who the original actor was, but uh, he wasn't able to come back to reshoot scenes, and Paul Bettany stepped in to join Star Wars. And I I like his performance. Paul Bettany's great. I, I liked seeing him as a villain. That was entertaining. But again, just like we've been saying this whole thing, I felt like his character needed more room to breathe. Like I wanted to see him do more evil stuff so that we could fear him better. And I think that if I had a time machine to go back and I had superpowers to influence the script, this is probably where I would have moved uh, Beckett's wife's death to. Don't have Beckett's wife sacrifice her life for basically no reason blowing up a train track. Have... uh, Paul Bettany's character, Dryden Voss, have, have Dryden Voss kill her because they failed the mission. That'd be heavy. And that's 
what I think it needed for Paul Bettany's character to be really ominous and feared is something like that. And rather than it's killing not... a random. Yeah, or, or exactly. And, and rather than having her die kind of well, somewhat pointlessly, uh, I think that it would have had a lot more impact with the audience and with the story there. Yeah, they were in a big hurry to kill off Beckett's gang so that Han and Chewie could be his new gang. And so I would have loved to see his people. Uh, oh, uh, it let's was see. Uh, Val Rio? and Rio. Val yeah. and Rio. I would love to see more of them on the screen. Kind of like what you're saying with Voss, you know, like, but if we had this as that TV show, I could, I could get my Beckett's gang episode. Rio was the greatest. I loved Rio. John John Rio Favreau is a creepy little alien dude. Like, uh, it puts a smile on my face. Like, it's just his silly uh, alien banter. And and there's the aliens. The more alien characters you were wanting, they kill him right off right away because he's very expensive to animate. On the note of killed off and Beckett, <laughs> one thing that I caught this time around that I did not catch in the past was a single line. Um, well, I, I believe it was with Lando, proof of how prepared I am, where he is basically saying, oh, hey, Beckett, you're good with me. You killed uh, Aura Singh. And that went over my head the first time I watched it. You know, I wasn't paying attention, didn't really care, whatever. But then this time around, I had that paused moment of, wait, I recognize that name. And so, you know, went to handy dandy Google to confirm it. And sure enough, it's like, oh, yeah, I totally remember her. She was in my young Jedi Star Wars card game from the prequels. And so, yeah, I had her in a Lego set. Yeah. So it was just this like <laughs> fun moment where it's like, OK, they're name dropping it's proper Star Wars history here. Cool. Beckett just gained a little bit of notoriety for people that know anything. So obviously they're trying to set up Beckett as being some kind of role model character um, for Han. And I'm not sure it totally. Han's Obi-Wan. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not sure it totally lands. And again, I'm just going to keep beating the dead horse of it just needs a little more time. Like the scenes with Beckett just need a little more time. And a TV series would be the dream. But even if they just maybe made the movie 30 minutes longer, they could have afforded a little more scene time where maybe Woody Harrelson's character is teaching Han something that he uses later. Like instead of just giving him a pistol, maybe he's maybe Han flies really well but doesn't shoot very well. And through this movie, he learns how to shoot well and and then it would also add more emotional impact when, you know, he shoots first at the end. Give him some actual quick draw training versus just well yeah or something like that would be cool but really i i just mean give beckett something to give han in the movie he gives him the job he gives him the way out of the empire he gives him the lead to jabba when you're looking at it in big concept sure he taught him things but i agree with you i would have much rather experienced the lessons more rather than me you know like i can tell you the lessons but do i feel like this recast han actually learned them from beckett yeah show show don't tell uh beckett's also a legacy of the prequels it's not just crimson dawn because if you watch beckett fighting his blasters are twirling non-stop like obi-wan and anakin lightsaber dueling you mean uh, all the pizzazz all the yeah, pizzazz dude, is gone. Dude has panache, <laughs> which is 100% prequel essence. So yeah, You stick up for them prequels. <laughs> dude, I'm trying. One thing that's really interesting in this movie, of course, is it was started out being shot by directors Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. And those are the guys that did the Lego movie. And the way this was marketed early on in production... It was supposed to be kind of the more of a, a lighthearted kind of Star Wars movie, more of a kind of a comedy almost. And rumors that I heard are that uh, Elden Rich, is that how you say his name? The, uh, the actor for Han Solo uh, got upset because he felt like they were turning Han Solo into Ace Ventura and he was being too silly and stuff. 
And so Lucasfilm reviewed the footage is how the rumor goes, and they didn't really like what they saw. And so they fired those directors and they hired on uh, Ron Howard to do the whole movie over again. And they reshot 90% of it. And I think there's a few things in this movie where you can feel its comedy roots seeping through. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And the one that sticks out that I think was, was a bad thing. I'm curious your opinion on this, but I didn't really, it didn't really sit well with me the way that the Imperial March was suddenly part of Canon as a recruiting song. How, how did you feel about that? Yeah, it's awkward. And part of that I'm sure was just budget of, okay, we need an Imperial song. Well, there's literally one with it in the name, but I would have been okay with a uh, different tune. Yeah, it was just nothing. Like, there's no precedent in Star Wars that the Imper- the Imperial Recruiting Center plays music. I-, I-, I think that that, and I could be wrong, I'm just hypothesizing, but that feels to me something that's straight out of a Star Wars comedy. I think as far as comedy goes with Solo, the best kind would be the cheeky wit because Han is kind of that sarcastic dumbass at times even in the original trilogy and that's a harsh way to describe you know Harrison Ford's version of acting it but when you look at what's actually going on in some of those scenes he he does say inappropriate things you know like uh talking with Luke about whether or not Leo could go for a guy like him right after complaining about her. Yeah, he's full of himself. Look at uh, Force Awakens, especially. Oh my God, you know, like, when have I ever broken a promise to you? When have I lied? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, you're calling me out on it? Um, oops. You know, like, oh, the we're going to light speed to this thing. Just don't tell her because I haven't seen if it works yet. You know, like... That arrogant comedy is Han Solo, and I feel like uh, this young guy, uh, Alden, however you said his last name, uh, definitely... I think it's Aaron Rich, or Aaron, Aaron Rich. <laughs> Aaron Rich? Sorry, dude, if for some reason you ever find this podcast, know that we didn't watch any interview with you when you were introduced, and that's why we can't say your name. But I thought his performance was really good. I th- I thought he did perfectly fine, but he was definitely thrown in the deep end as far as characters to recast, kind of like what yes. you were talking earlier. You know, if you can recast Han Solo, you can recast anybody. And those are, they're big shoes to fill. Harrison Ford is a charisma actor. That guy doesn't actually do much in terms of genuine acting. What he does is bring an incredibly strong presence to the screen. This guy was coming on scene to be Harrison Ford, and immediately you're forced to acknowledge this kid sounds like a kid. He doesn't sound like Harrison Ford because Harrison Ford is a sexy bastard. When you listen to him talk, you know, like he's got charisma. And yeah. yeah. This, not... The new actor doesn't quite have the voice. Like that's the one thing that he doesn't quite have. He, he's got the performance down, but does not have the voice. Whatever he's drinking on Tatooine is just uh, able to gravel him up a little <laughs> bit uh, and he's good to go. But really, that was the only thing that I genuinely struggled with him because it is set earlier. And so my mind's immediately happy to see a younger face and be like, yeah, totally. It's it's young Han. I buy it. They had Harrison Ford come on. uh I've heard during the reshoots to be a uh, a coach to help kind of inform the performance and, and help out and rich. Uh, I, I think that the problem there isn't really with the actor. Cause like I said, I think he does a great job. I think the problem is with the way the character's written um, the problem is squarely with the writers because does he feel like Han Solo? 
yes, he does. And it's amazing that he does. Like, kudos to the actor. But does he feel like Han Solo before he is Han Solo? Like, before he's grown into the character we met? No, not really. He He's just, you know, he's already Han Solo. I think it would have been... And I'm sure they didn't do this for marketing reasons, but I think it would have been more into to have him play a different Han Solo. And then we, we can see through the course of a show or something or a movie in a show or a couple movies, how he goes from being whatever he was to being the cocky, arrogant bastard that we know. But from this movie, we we just learned that he's always been a cocky, arrogant bastard. If you take Han Solo all the way through the Skywalker saga, then yeah, it's Han Solo through and through. But in this movie, he is optimistic. He wants to run to save the day. He wants to help the founding of the Alliance. He doesn't want to be a bad guy. He wants to say he's an outlaw, but Kira has to tell him, I know you're the good guy. I would say that this kid's Han Solo is the closest to Force Awakens Han Solo. So we kind of get him reverting to his younger self as he gets older. So what did you think of uh, Donald Glover's performance as Lando? I thought it was fun. I thought he was really fun. It That was the one recast that was hard for me, actually. Oh, really? Uh, oh, really? Not because of his acting. Because I had a hard time removing the actor from the character. Because one of my favorite TV shows to rewatch is Community, and Donald Glover has a huge role in it. Okay, he's okay. Martin, and he's the quarterback, awkward, uh, funny guy. And so the whole time I'm just seeing, oh, it's Troy with a mustache and a cape. Him and Abed are off on some space adventure. This is fun. And totally. So, and I've never seen Community, so that was never even in my mind. So that was my one issue. And I know a lot of people get excited. They're like, oh, it's Childish Gambino. I like his music. And I'll be honest, I haven't listened to a single song that he's done on purpose uh, because I don't care. But I do see him as <laughs> Troy Barton, and I love Troy Barton. And so that one I struggled with. But he definitely did a great job in this movie. The, the dude, He was also in The Martian. <laughs> he, he was, and he was awkward in that one, and I liked that. Uh, but We have a podcast on The Martian, by the way. You should check it out on our channel after this. I believe it's episode six. He was fun. He was really good. He definitely played up the the charismatic uh gambler rogue stereotype really well um i think my favorite part with him would probably be when he brings them to the booted millennium falcon you know like oh yeah i keep it here for safety reasons you know like <laughs> that was that was fun that was proper like this guy is not a legitimate you know like professional he has his edges and so it was fun yeah like it wasn't an impersonation but i felt like he probably watched like billy d williams nonstop. like maybe billy d williams has a podcast and he just listened to it all night i could see that i could see him enjoying that just sitting down and getting some <laughs> billy d <laughs> Isn't there a Family Guy joke about this? Welcome to the cool side of the pillow. <laughs> I do not remember it, but now I need to go and hunt that down. Uh, on the note of Lando, though, how do you feel about their um, attempt to broaden Lando's horizons by... <laughs> allowing for unique romantic entanglements? I, I don't care. I, I think it was fine. I I think there's maybe like two sex jokes too many for a Star Wars movie in here, but it could just be that I'm a product of my time. I remember when the movie was coming out, there was, were a few articles that were released that outed that secret, and they made a really big deal out of it. They were like, uh, oh... Star Wars becomes super liberal by allowing Lando Calrissian to become uh, a bisexual robot lover. And it's like, wait, you what? know, 
Which way do you want it? Do you want it to be like the Harry Potter way? You were saying this earlier. Do you want it to be like the Harry Potter way where it's a tweet and they go, oh, yeah, by the way, Dumbledore's gay. Or or do you want it to be actually you get to see on film the reality of these people? I I show don't tell. It applies to everything. And his robot jokes about them being in love. And he has a romantic, you know, slow-mo run to save Sure, her. sure. It's all sure. in jokes. But yeah. there's really never any like, oh, yeah, I'm totally in love with my robot. We're hooked up. You know, like there's it's never so in the face that um, my my comment is actually more in the direction of I feel like the news people made a huge deal out of very little i think it's another leftover of it being a comedy originally i believe that uh point in case the robot we haven't even covered this l337 that's the robot's name she's leet (laughs) she is leet i can't believe they did that it's so stupid one of the only notes that i like determinedly (laughs) wrote down when we said we were going to talk about the solo movie was just that this robot that Lando's like, oh yeah, she's got the best uh, navigation software in her head ever. She's amazing. They talk up how she's just like this awesome robot. She's elite. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm so excitedly happy and mad at you for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, it is a definite inside joke because a lot of people wouldn't get it. And uh well, I don't know. I just call her L3 the whole time. You have to like right. pretty much look at the <laughs> credits to know that she's lead. I could see someone doing that on the rough draft because they're like, oh, God, I don't know what to name this robot. I'm just going to write down a placeholder name and then going to the table read and just staring at them. You know, like that awkward silence you get when you do something funny and you're waiting for somebody to call you out on for being dumb. And, you know, this person <laughs> just like giggling to themselves. And then at the end of the meeting, no one corrected it. And he's <laughs> and like, they're like, oh, oh crap. <laughs> permanent you know <laughs> I, uh, I one cool see that. thing about yeah. l3 that i learned um was that uh she was actually partially done with practical effects partially oh really hmm. it's a person wearing a green suit wearing like droid armor and that's why her hips are so wide because they're on the outside of the actor's legs and it is the actual helmet and like arm uh little bits and so then they just went through and they added in you know cg wiring and polished up some of the appearance of it and so every scene with l3 you know it's an actual actor on stage i really liked the whole character of l3 i thought she had a lot of spunk and it was funny i i did laugh at the jokes her character goes to a dark place at the end of this movie like Everything that's set up about her, it goes all horribly wrong. I'm pretty sure that she's like a bad Twilight Zone episode inside of this movie. Yeah, she uh, brings droid social activism to the Star Wars universe, which isn't really something that we've uh, ever encountered. No one's ever talked about droid rights before L3. It's brought up for laughs, but then we see like, all the mining droids with their restraining bolts and she frees them. And it's like, Oh, Whoa, this, this is getting pretty serious. And then her mind end up, ends up like put into a computer so they can use her brain. It's like, damn, this got dark. And they play it as a happy moment. They play it as a funny moment too. Because the Falcon became complete. But it's this like sad moment really, because when you look at the future of the millennium Falcon, no one addresses it. You know, like I accept right, that right. Han's not going to sit down and the Falcon to be like, all right, L3, let's do this. No, he says, Chewie, punch it. Right. But, the, you know, we do get Lando flying the Millennium Falcon. And so I, I want a special edition, you know, like we could put Hayden Christensen in Return of the Jedi. I now want Billy D to put in one line when the Falcon flies away. Here we go again, L3. (laughs) I mean, it's medium exciting when Lando walks in. A little too chill. She's dead. 
And they're like, oh, plug her brain into the computer. Oh, that's <laughs> and, you know, it's so then, damn dark. <laughs> and then they do, and it works immediately, which is wonderful. L3 is integrating with the system. Lights turn on. Flashy color panel. You know, like, it's it's wonderful. Well, he was and then... able to save her from dying. It is happy. In, in Empire, 3PO is talking to your ship. I don't know where your ship learned to communicate. L3 is probably like, let me out of here, you... <laughs> You servant to the humans, <laughs> which would be just hilarious because I need that dialogue now of what was L3 saying to 3PO that 3PO wasn't okay with. It's probably like, let me out of here. I'm surprised she didn't like take over his body or something. Get out of the computer and start murdering people. <laughs> They're going to give us some parallel universe Star Wars stories, kind of like the Marvel what if. And that's going to be one of them when L3 takes over 3PO's body. So, list of on my list of characters, we still haven't talked about Kira, and we haven't talked about Chewbacca much. So, what's your thoughts on Kira as a character? So, Kira, I have a similar issue with Lando. I am a, a big Game of Thrones fan. Books, right? Loved, She's on the Kingdom Thrones. Loved the books. Watched all of the show have issues with parts of the show that every single viewer listener would have, you know, identical feelings, but she is Daenerys Targaryen in my eyes. And I have struggled with her in a lot of other things that I've seen her in. Admittedly, she is good. You know, like she is able to be her characters and I recognize that it, that's my fault. But, you know, eight seasons of watching her as one person, that's where my issue is. Her character, I felt, was, felt pointless on Corellia. You could tell that she was going to be written off. And then all of a sudden, uh, when she makes her return, it is that like, oh, dang, abrupt shocking he reached the end of his goal because the entire goal of this solo movie is he wants to reconnect with her and then boom like 30 minutes into the movie he does yeah that was in the wrong spot i think that should have been at the end of act two yeah i would i would be okay with a little bit more pacing there but you know it kept a very marketable name on screen more and it kept it from being, you know, this boy adventure. And I do think that her character would be really interesting to get more of. But she kind of got screwed because this is a standalone movie and it's over. You know, they, Here we are they, back to the TV series thing. Yep. Give me that TV series. <laughs> Give me that syndicate one you're talking about. Yeah. Give me a Kira yeah. and Darth Maul focused syndicate show. Hell yeah, her schedule's available. You know, her show's over. Give her a new one. I'm in. Because we know that she practices uh, the Paris Kasi, uh, the Jedi fighting martial art. You know, Darth Maul taught her uh, through Voss how to fight Jedi with martial arts. There's something there, you know, like that. That's cool. There's not nearly enough Darth Maul in this movie. It, it's really a tease that he's in it at all. They just wanted to make it official that he was still alive, you know, because that was yeah. one of those things where they're like, oh, you know what? I know we did this in, was it Clone Wars or Rebels that they confirmed that he was still alive? I Clone Wars. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're like, okay, not enough people are watching this show to know that this is a fact. It needs to be on the big screen. So here's your three second. Oh, and you know what? It's been a long time since the prequels. Not everybody recognizes him anymore, which is sad. Have him turn on the lightsaber. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, he was only in part of one movie. That that's my feelings on Kira. What are yours? I feel like a huge tangent later. <laughs> uh I, I agree. Kira seems just kind of there as a, a motivation for Solo. I think that her character shines a lot more in the crime syndicate setting. And so it is really a shame that we don't get more of it 
even just maybe if she had a sequence to herself where, like you were saying, she uses her fancy martial arts skills or something. I I think she just needed a scene to uh, to do her own thing. She got that scene, though, but they put a door in the way. She had her martial art take down the guy when she gets shut in the room and Beckett's all like, oh, no, I'm the muscle. I'm supposed to kill that guy. But she whooped him behind this this door. And L3's like, well, that was unexpected. When I look at this entire movie of what it is, Han got the fast forward of Corellia and the Empire. Hers has to be equally, if not more interesting, because she goes from getting snatched to getting branded with the Crimson Dawn, getting trained, like, miniseries. Give me her flashback episode, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I can see that being pretty sweet. So how do you feel about Chewie in this movie? I really like the sequence where he meets Han. Again, it's it's a little dark. <laughs> Why did he stop eating people? It it makes you think. He's been did, living in this mud hole eating people. Did he stop? <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. Han's shooting these stormtroopers in the in the original trilogy and they just don't show you him dragging the bodies to Chewie for dinner. <laughs> and then imagine that war scene in the prequels where Yoda's hanging out on Kashyyyk. You know, they're fighting battle droids, so clearly they aren't going to eat those. <laughs> but, like, Yoda sits down for dinner, <laughs> and these are like, hey, pass the human. Yeah, these clones are awesome. <laughs> Can you make a few more for me? Yeah, they just don't show us the big Wookiee barbecues after the battles. I mean, at least with the Ewoks, they showed us all the soldier helmets, so we know those Ewoks are eating humans. It was heavily implied. (laughs) So why why can't Wookiees, right? It's because (laughs) Chewie is adorable and lovable. They say that the Ewoks are the lovable thing that we wanted stuffed animals of. No, it's Chewie. I have a Chewie stuffed animal. This one, but I'm taking ownership. We established that he plays with his food. I did really like that Han suddenly speaks Wookiee, and I I thought that that, again, feels like it's probably a leftover from when it was a comedy, but I I still just really like the moment. It just, it feels like a very Han and Chewie moment. I I really liked that. He's, like, trying to drown him in mud, and then he starts speaking Wookiee, and just the look on Chewbacca's face is just so classic Chewie, which is amazing, because he has a free face, but just where he's like, whoa, wait a minute! Oh my god! It'd be like, It's totally like if my cheeseburger was like, whoa, don't eat me. (laughs) I do have one kind of curiosity issue with the whole pacing of this movie. He says that he wants to find his family or tribe when they're having their serious around the campfire thing. And they're like, oh, what's the difference? You know, tribe is your family. And so we know that that's Chewie's motivation. He wants to get back to his people. And then they are coincidentally enslaved in the Kessel mines or yeah, is it just too much random Wookiees? And he's like, you know what? I met a Wookiee. That's good enough for me. Yeah. I thought it was random Wookiees, but either way that you look at it, it's awkward. If he meets his people yeah. there that they yeah. randomly chose to go to weird. If it's, he met, a Wookiee and was able to put his face to it and be like, okay, hey, cool. We just had like our Wookiee thing. I'm now going to go live with the humans forever. Both of those are too rushed. Both of those See, are too... us, us Star Wars fans all know that Wookiees are enslaved on Kessel to mine for spice. We all just know that from the extended universe and from Clone Wars or whatever. I, I think really what we needed is a scene establishing why Wookiees are kept on Kessel to mine for spice and what is spice and why would people want to travel these dangerous spaces with spice. But maybe it's that they were, maybe they were a little nervous to get into the whole like Star Wars and smuggling drugs around thing. 
they were nervous about that. That actually came up uh, with this movie when someone, I, I don't know names, so I apologize for the people that are after a history lesson here, but it came up with, well, what is Spice? And I think it was with Poe Dameron, especially when they were trying to establish, you know, that it was a drug. And then they like called it all the way up to the top kind of thing. I don't remember if it was like actually the Lucas, but in my mind it is. And they were like, all right, confirm, deny. Is Spice actually a drug? And he's like, oh yeah, it's a drug. And they're like, wait, really? And so it's like that part of Star Wars primary canon that is definitely more implied than uh, outright addressed. And I think it needed addressed if you're going to put Chewbacca's saving his people from the mines story there. And even me as a, as a substantial star Wars fan, I don't know why Wookiees are preferred over other things. I mean, I assume it's because they can lift heavy things, but, Which but why, saw. why Wookiees though? I mean, show us, show us, don't tell us. Yeah. I, I think a droid could do it just as well. Personally. Right. Like there has to be some reason. Maybe, maybe Wookiees just heal really fast or they handle the heat there really well. In their yes, furry, giant furry coats. walking carpet handle the heat well. I like Show us. I don't know. Yeah, you think all the Wookies there would be panting the whole time? Like, <sighs> the dog tongue. <laughs> yeah. Right. But uh, oh, hey, speaking of uh, Wookies and Chewbacca, I absolutely loved the Han and Chewbacca shower scene. I thought it was perfect. They cut away a little too fast. They should have had a few more lines there. It was just another perfect Han and Chewie moment where it's like a little awkward. I don't know. It's it, it's like a, a, a guy who showers with his dog. His dog, who's old, really old. They finally <laughs> said it on screen, 190 years old. And so one of the most common jokes in the Star Wars community is uh, about how Chewie owes Han this life debt, and that's why they hang out together. But no, no, no. Han is Chewie's pet. Oh, okay, okay. And okay, so well, then it's a dog and his pet man. <laughs> they're off on this adventure together that is Han's entire life, but really, it's just a phase in Chewie's. And so it, he's he's just out hanging out with his dog. I like him that. Live the best of his life. You know, he's even letting him take the steering wheel. <laughs> <laughs> he's Chewie's pet. I love it. <laughs> so Han Solo getting his last name from the Empire is dumb. It's super dumb. I didn't like that. Dumb, 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 dumb. Whoever whoever wrote that, shame on you. And I think it's another relic of it being a comedy originally. Yep that did not like that it didn't land well for me it it's still like when you think back on it it kind of confuses me a little it, it why would this guy who's such a rebel and doesn't like the empire be okay with them giving him his name and then continue to use it and pass it on to his wife and children especially this guy who ended up being a deserter you know and... what I think? If they were going to plan to do this, that would make a lot more sense. If they were going to plan that, oh yeah, that's where Han got his name. It's not his original name. I think then in Force Awakens, he should have maybe taken on Leia's name. And his last name's now Organa. He's Han Organa or something. Ben Organa and Han Organa. Like, it would have had more implications, but it doesn't sell merch. I think if we were to keep this format, that they tried to keep in this movie, the better time would have been if Beckett asked him his name. Okay. After the you know, like names in that fire him. scene. And uh, Beckett naming him, I could have been more okay, okay. with that. Yeah, that or, makes a lot more sense. Or if it was brooding, gloomy, pissy Han sitting okay. there, and he's like, what's your name, kid? And he's like, Han. He's like, that's not your whole name. Give me your damn name, you know, that kind of thing. And then he just goes, Han... Solo, you know, so if it yeah. was Han kind of giving him that leave me the <laughs> blank alone or the I'm not I'm just going to tell you some random nonsense or Beckett being the mentor, both of those would feel much more appropriate. Basically anybody but the Air Force recruiter. But he had to put in a name and for some reason thinks of 
witty things instead of the <laughs> you know the american version of smith <laughs> that there is the funniest man in the empire john doe no 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 john <laughs> solo <laughs> <laughs> like that uh as far as like han's military career we we talked already about how it goes by too fast but hey in that sequence there's an atst jumping and that's that pretty sweet fun. i missed that the first few times i've watched this like rewatching it i had to rewind and rewatch that several times just to watch the atat or atst jump it was incredible just because you said it atat dude the train they call it the AT transport or something like that. Look closely at it. That train looks exactly like a whole bunch of AT AT bodies glued together. That's awesome. I I bet you it is. The that the train heist sequence in general was was really fun. I, I liked that that they're like trying to show how Han's a great pilot. I don't think you really need Rio's line of going, "Oh, he's such a great pilot." They should have just showed more and. The part specifically with that whole high sequence that bothers me as far as like Han's piloting skills. If he's so great, why did he jettison the payload then? I'd say he's a modest pilot. Well, you see, it's just giving tribute to that it's hard to fly every single ship. You need those few minutes to adjust. Because when we look at uh You're just the trying Force to stick Awakens, up for him. I am. When you watch <laughs> The Force Awakens, Finn asks Poe, can you fly a TIE fighter? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can fly anything. And he gets in and he's like, I've never flown one of these. And he doesn't do a great job at first, but then he does a really good job. He had that adjustment period. My personal take for Han being a great pilot, which is just terrifying conceptually, was when they were flying through the Maelstrom and he spins the Falcon and swats a TIE fighter out of space. And like makes it collide with an asteroid. He literally used his ship as a fly swatter against another spaceship. Like, that really oh, explains dang. what it looks like after he has it for a few years. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed Lando's line of, this is why you don't let somebody else fly your ship. Kathan's like smashing it into everything. <laughs> so what did you think of uh, live action Sabak or Sabak, however you want to say it? The card game they all play in Star Wars. It makes me want to know the actual rules. Yeah. Because if Han is able to barely win each time, how, what is the mechanic of it that allows him to consistently win? Clearly, he's doing card counting strategies. So is it just a different, you know, card picture poker? That's kind of how they portrayed it in this movie. And my only experience with it was from the novels as a kid and just reading, like you were saying earlier, various just extended universe stuff. And the card game in the novels was always portrayed much more electronically. It was portrayed as cards that you would lay out and you would uh, touch them to interact with them and they would become holograms. I'm not sure why they didn't just go that way with it just because that's sounds cool i think it's just another one of those they threw out all the extended universe and they're trying to reinvent the wheel well and they went for a borderline cliche classic gambling scene of oh how do we make two scoundrels interact with each other poker and it was always portrayed more as a one-on-one -on -one game that I remember, too. So, yeah, maybe that is what it was, is they just wanted it to look a lot more like poker. Maybe so people would get what was going on. We at least got our electronic holographic weird alien chess with Chewie before he was a master. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That, that was pretty cool. It was a nice little wink. The, the Falcon always came equipped with one game. So the character we have neglected to talk about Enfys Nest. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was kind of saving Enfys Nest for the end because I don't think Enfys Nest belongs in this movie. I think that she would have been fine to have her in the sequence with the with the train, but I think that's probably where she should have stopped being in the movie or, or maybe another sequence, but just to set her up as kind of the Boba Fett character where it's like, whoa, that's a cool character in a mask. What's that character about? 
and then we can explore her more in her own thing because this movie's already so loaded with stuff and nothing has room to breathe. And her whole like seeds of the rebel alliance thing being tacked onto the end just kind of feels out of place and it kind of it delays the pacing a bit. I feel like it belongs more in something that happens after this movie. Yeah, and I feel like Han having a run-in with the Rebel Alliance in any form before Leia just isn't as... Yeah, it detracts from what comes later a bit. Yeah, I, I'd agree there. I, I, I'm fine with the character. I'm, I'm, I think it's great. I think that uh, the idea of showing where the Rebel Alliance comes from early on is great. I just think that it doesn't belong in this movie. It's it's just another uh it's just another thing to establish other threads that it we would have been its own fun Disney Plus show. You know, like here, look at these random rebels that get together. So what did you think of the uh the whole Kessel run finally getting to see it on film after hearing about it all of our lives? What what did you feel like actually getting to see it? How was it? Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah, giant space monster Cthulhu. <laughs> that's oh, Cthulhu. Like, that's my big takeaway from the Kessel Run is Cthulhu. Yeah, the space monster just brings up a lot of questions. I mean, it was very Star Wars, and I thought it was visually very cool. But uh, what does it eat? How does it work? How does it live by black holes? That doesn't does not compute. Well, we've got other creatures that live in space you know, yeah it's the, very star wars so that's not out of place it's just but... fantasy it's <laughs> another fantasy thing it's the space dragon that lives on the kessel run cthulhu yep, yep, okay yep. it's the space cthulhu that lives on the kessel run proving that space is just a different colored underwater uh, I thought that it was fun getting to see that it's some crazy navigate through this storm and i enjoyed immensely when you see that star destroyer like that's ominous anytime i've ever seen star destroyers i've always kind of struggled to see them as ominous or scary yeah that was epic and you know watch the original trilogy they're awkward triangles you know the executor's cool but I think that my opinion of the executor is 100% enhanced uh, by the card game because I had that card and it was cool. And this time we see that Star Destroyer masked in the Maelstrom's darkness and it's just like, oh, dang. How about you? How how did you like uh, our Kessel run? Oh, it's great. No, I I totally agree. Uh I really liked this the sequence and getting to see what the Kessel Run was actually about. I think the space monster raises a lot of questions. I yeah, really uh no real qualms with it. I think that uh the whole of course Han uses like secret maps to cheat is very Han. Uh uses his upper hand or whatever. Uh well, and it proved that it was also dumb luck. Like, he's bragging about a near-death experience that should have killed him, that he just happened to get through. He's never once said, hey, yeah, I do this regularly. <laughs> yeah, right. He's living on his, like, one success. It's like, yeah. His one success. And Lando even gave us some reference so that we could appreciate Han. He said, no one can do this in less than 20 parsecs. We need to jettison the cargo. And that's a fun callback to earlier when Beckett was saying, don't ditch the cargo, you coward. How dare you ditch the cargo? And this time, Han keeps the cargo. Okay, yeah, he's, and so he's learned not to throw the cargo away. Th- that's fun. And... You know, the the stars align to allow them to pull off this maneuver that he lives off of for the rest of his life. And I love <laughs> that concept. If he ended up saying like, oh, yeah, and then I became this like super multimillionaire by doing this run all the time because I know the path and the Falcon's amazing. I'd like it less. 
but the fact that it's like yeah i'm never doing that again all day <laughs> but oh yeah i'm, I'm so cool <laughs> yeah i'm never doing that again so and the subject of setting up other universes the whole beckett setting up java seems unnecessary i don't think we really needed that in this movie and to have it end on him going like let's go find this big gangster for this job or whatever i i don't know we needed a sequel hook i think that if it was going to get a sequel it just would and i i don't i hope the show isn't just the him working for java show uh but i absolutely loved the han shooting first and as soon as beckett starts to do the villain monologue he's just like bam very Harrison Ford Han Solo thing to do. I thought it was very fitting and it was kind of sh- surprising actually. Yeah, I think that the fact that he already had his gun pointing at him, yeah, we it takes all away a little bit. Expected him to not just shoot him. And yeah. so, you know, like it kind of had that like, oh dang, he actually pulled the trigger. I feel like a lot of that impact was lost because it's not like Han was a guy that struggled with the morality of killing. And so him pulling the trigger wasn't like this, oh, no, he went there. It was just, okay, he cut off the monologue. I I think that, I think it would have had more of an emotional impact if, like I was saying earlier, if instead of all the other things that Beckett hands down to Han, if Beckett had helped him with his uh, aim, had helped him with his marksmanship, then it would have had like, oh my god, you used what I taught you to kill me. It would have had like an extra emotional layer. And if you threw in that Superman thing, you know, like, what if the reason that Han got kicked out of the Academy and kept getting adapted down to being this worse role was that he kept going for non-lethal shots or he kept, you know, he missed too many times and then all of a sudden Beckett shows him how to kill and this is like the one time that he goes for that, like, instant, I'm going to kill you. And then the rest of his life, he just goes for those kill shots like that. That's heavy. But here it's just like, okay, you learn to shoot instead of listen to a monologue. Good job, buddy. Single takeaway, what was your favorite moment in Solo? Shower sequence with Chewbacca. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) There is... Good choice. I love how fast that was. We rewatched it again to go... Was it really so bad? Like, is is there any merit here? <laughs> and that that's is takeaway. That, that that's the merit. You get to watch Han and Chewie shower together, so it's worth. Watching. No other film brings you a man and his Wookiee in the shower. <laughs> Nor will another <laughs> <laughs> ever again. <laughs> what about you? What was uh, your one takeaway favorite moment? Honestly, I really struggle with that question, which is why I asked you. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I have one, which is why I'm sure a lot of people hate on the movie, because I struggled to come away from it with a single like, oh, dude, that moment sold the movie for me. It didn't really have any of those for me. There were. A, I wonder if that's a residual of it being a comedy that got reshot. It's like a comedy without its guts. And I feel like that's a cheap answer for the question, but it kind of plays into my overall answer of, is the movie worth it in the end? And I feel like it gets unjustly hated on. It's not as bad as we all said it was because it came out right with the last Jedi. The star Wars community was in a, you know, a hissy fit mode and it struggled and so a lot of us have disconnected investment with it and i can watch this movie and enjoy myself fine but i don't know that it ever oversteps fine i want to know your favorite character portrayal we had two classic characters returning portrayed as their younger selves han and lando i'm going to count to three and then you got to say it okay ready one yeah Two, three, two. Lando. No, he wasn't an option. <laughs> okay, do it again. I, I have my answer. It's the same as yours, but we can do the count. Yeah, Lando. Chewy. 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to include Chewie in the list because he is a returning classic character, but he's got some advantages because his he costume is a whole bodysuit. Okay, yeah, well, you know, we we did establish that Chewbacca's cool with eating people. Which is so funny for me. Make make uh, with that what you will. <laughs> uh, so last follow-up question. Uh, what was your least favorite part of the movie? My least favorite part of the movie is that it sets up a bunch of threads, which I don't care about. I like cinematic universe movies. I like setting up threads. But I feel like in this movie, Han Solo deserves a movie about Han Solo. And setting up the Rebel Alliance and his future escapades. And I, I just feel like that stuff didn't belong in this movie. I liked Darth Maul in the movie, but he could have been excluded. He's kind of a tease that he's even in there. I know, like you said, they wanted to establish he exists. And I, I totally agree that's the reason. But I think it does a disservice to Han. And if you cut out all these things setting up the rest of the cinematic universe... I think you could give moments more time to breathe, like his relationship with Beckett, give Kira a moment to shine as the assassin she's become, make Dryden Voss more menacing. Those are all things that you could do if you weren't so busy setting up sequels. And I would say that the fact you keep calling it a cinematic universe is the culprit. Disney tried to marvel this movie. Oh, yeah, no, and you can tell. It's very... It's very obvious. And I think that's why we keep saying it would make a better TV series. And Marvel's just a TV series on movies. It really is. So to cut you off before you can even ask me, I have mine for my least favorite oh, oh, part. Oh, 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 yeah. Hey, Corey, I was totally going to ask you. What's your least favorite part about yeah, Ladies and gentlemen, movie? that's proof he wasn't going to ask. He forgot. My, <laughs> my least favorite is actually kind of petty but when you watch the first like half hour of the movie it is so dark you don't get to really enjoy the visuals that much and i was wondering why that bothered me this watch through and the obvious answer was well i watched it in the middle of the day and my wife likes to have the blinds open so the room was <laughs> sunny but then it got me wondering even more Star Wars, even though it's grungy, broken, dirty future, has always been a very vibrant franchise. The visuals are always a focus. And in the first half an hour of this movie, felt like they weren't. It felt like they were going for this dark, gritty something. And for me... I think that that's a big reason on why this didn't feel like a proper Star Wars movie. The first time that I encountered it or the first time other people encountered it visually, it took a different approach. Hey, thanks bored and nerdy audience. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. Yeah. yeah we definitely appreciate y'all. You should uh, maybe give us a few more comments. We'd like to know what you're interested in hearing about or what you didn't like hearing about. I mean, I could go for some complainy comments. I can, I could use deleting some comments as something fun to do. You know, I agree. He could use some complainy comments. Complain about him. Don't hurt my feelings. I'm sensitive. <laughs> but that's the beautiful thing. If people in comments hurt your feelings, you just delete them. It's empowering. You can comment on our video on YouTube. You can find our podcast anywhere you find your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. You can find us at fragmentedpo.com as well. You can email us at boardnnerdy, all one word, at gmail.com because we totally do check that email address regularly. Next time on Board and Nerdy, we will be discussing some more Star Wars. This time, we're going to the Shadows of the Empire. That's going to include the book, the game, the comics, the toys, you know, whatever. It's all it's all fair game. Shadows of the Empire. We hope you're a little less bored and a little more nerdy. <laughs> <laughs>